Welcome to On Working, a monthly Substack podcast about how people turn the hours of the day into books, articles, films, music, and more. I am fascinated with how people work, their routines, their rituals, their kludges, their hectic, scrambling, dumpster fire days. I want to know how people make time to make great things. And that's what this podcast is about. It's about that journey and the way many folks embark on it. Now, my inaugural guest is Elamin Abdelmahmoud, culture writer for BuzzFeed News, host of CBC's Pop Chat podcast, and author of the new release, Son of Elsewhere. Now, let's find out how Elamin works. Let's get into it. Do you want to start with tea? Like, what are you drinking when you're working? I'm drinking water. Okay. That's that's your choice? I had a coffee. <laughs> Before. I had a little, I, a little hit of espresso. I got to tell you, I'm not a coffee guy. I don't. Coffee's like an emergency break for me. Like, I, I hit it when I'm like, I can't function today. I cannot. You know, my brain is not going to work unless I have some coffee. In which case, I would do it. But it's probably like, like once a quarter. You know? That's how often I drink coffee. Holy, okay, well, well, let's get in. Let's get into this right now. Let's get in right at the top. Let's start right here. Welcome and thank you for being my first guest on Working. Hey, my pleasure, pal. Thanks for having me as your first guest. You're one of the, you're the, one of the first people I thought of, and I was so happy when you said yes because you produce a lot of work. Hmm, that's you true. Produce a lot of work. Articles, books, Twitter gold. A gold single dairy? book. <laughs> yeah, but but more to come. More to come. Yeah, that's true. You you also have a lovely family. I do. And so I want to start with with this. Is there a is there a typical work day for you, or you do you just get up and go for it? Uh, no, there is no typical work day for me. My Monday looks very different from my Friday, so I don't have a sort of typical standard. Here's what my work day looks like. But does one Monday look different from the next Monday? Do you, do you, on a Sunday night, think, I have no idea how the hell this is going to go? Uh, I, tr- I try not to be in that position. I, if, if I'm in that position where I'm cl- completely freewheeling it, then that's, that's not a good sign for anybody. Um, I'm someone who gets really anxious when I'm completely mm-hmm. just kind of just uh, out in the deep end with no particular plan. Having said that, I wouldn't say that I'm someone who plans for four days ahead, say. Like, I sort of know the thing that I got to do tomorrow and the thing that I got to finish by tomorrow. That tends to be my operating pace. Um, There are a few sort of set anchors of my week. So on Monday morning, for example, at 11.30, I will always have my BuzzFeed editorial meeting. That is when I meet with the rest of the team. We talk about the stuff that we're working on that week, but also we talk about, hey, what new stuff might we sort of you know, orient ourselves towards. What new stuff might we say? Yeah, this is the thing that we're going to work on this week. Um, After that, I have a meeting with my my manager because I have one of those. I have, uh, I do have uh, the executive editor of the BuzzFeed Culture Desk is my manager. And we talk about my progress on the pieces that I have on the go. Hey, are we going to drop one? Are we going to kill a piece? Are we going to move up this piece because this feels more urgent? Um, so that we have a meeting, um, those are back to back sort of Monday morning meetings. Um, my, 
my Tuesday mornings is always taken up by my podcast because that's when we always record the thing. We record it at 9.30 on a Tuesday morning. That's non-negotiable. I will have to be in studio because that's when we record the podcast. Everything else can kind of fit around those anchors. Everything else can kind of sort of neatly find its way around those anchors. Um, I'm always going to be responsible for pickup um, from school, for example. I got to pick up my daughter somewhere between 5 and 5.30, preferably closer to 5, but sometimes it's, well, you know, sometimes it's later. Um, all those things are like, oh, that's a block in the day that there's no getting around it. That's the thing that has to happen then. And then everything else kind of, you find room for it, where I, I try to find room for it. So there's some structure that's driving this. It's not just it's not chaos. It's it's flexible, but it's not chaotic. Yes, it's not uh, it's not completely like I'm just going to invent a schedule at, from out of nowhere today. There is there's some kind yeah. of structure to it. Yeah. Do you have rituals? I I mean I have very particular work rituals depending on what I'm doing. When I was writing my book, I would put on Brian Eno's music for airports. Yeah. And that would be my writing music. That's... And now I write to like autumn jazz. I can see that about you. You look like an autumn jazz kind of person to me, you know? I'm not offended by that at all. It's a compliment. It's a, you got this cardigan. Coming, it looks incredible, you know? It's, well, people people can't see this because we're doing audio only because I don't I didn't want to brush my hair, but but I, I it is a little avuncular over here today. I think listen, I think that cardigan says I like autumn and I like jazz and sometimes I like to combine the two of them. I, there's nothing wrong with that combination. Do I have rituals? No. Um hmm. And I think it would be really damaging to me to have rituals. And that's because I like to, when I'm starting a piece, I like to walk around a lot. Um, I guess that's a, that's a form of ritual, but I never mm -hmm. know what I'm going to find. And so when I'm starting to like figure out where is the piece going to, what is, the, what is this piece going to be and where am I going to start it? Um, I have one of those really awful habits where I can't begin to write unless I have a first sentence. Um, and like... Yeah, I, the reason you just sharply inhaled is because that is not the productive way to go about life. <laughs> it's not. It's just. It it's just not isn't. the downdraft style of working where you just <laughs> no. get everything out of your head and down. This is the. No. Yeah. This, this is the, this very is the Joycean. Yeah. This is every day you sit down. And you're like, I'm going to do Finnegan's Wake today. Yeah. This is this is me. This is who I am. But here's the thing: is I will. I will get up and I will be like, I need to go for a walk because I need to figure out where this piece begins or where I'm going with it. And I'll put on my headphones and I'll choose music that sort of resembles the piece, um, resembles the emotional landscape of the thing that I'm trying to work on. And I'll go for a walk. And along the way, I will write down thoughts and sentences as they come to me. Um, but I can't begin to actually put them all together until I have that very first sentence and i really cannot um, dissuade you from this enough please don't work like this i don't want to be like this someone help mm -hmm. me i'm trapped no it's too late no you're, you're you are who you are but but it obviously worked when, when you wrote about you wrote about taylor swift recently for buzzfeed did you listen to taylor swift when you were walking around or is that a little, was that too on the nose you're like no no that's a hack move or did you like i'm going all in on anti-hero up to 11 yeah, so here's the thing. I, When reviewing an album, I have to listen to the album in a lot of different yeah. spaces. I'm one of those people who's like, okay, we're going to walk around the neighborhood with the album for like a couple hours. And then after we do that, we're going to have to drive around in the car. Does it feel different in the car? Is it? Does it, does it play differently? It does though, right? Totally. 
plays entirely differently in the car. This is an album that also feels different if you're walking around in the middle of the day than if you're walking around in the middle of the night. Like I think like there's there's a bunch of different emotional landscapes that you can plug into with this record. Um, and I try to not only listen to it once or twice. I think sometimes doing this work, um, there's a pressure to sort of turn around something quickly. There's a pressure to like, I listened to it once and now I have all these formulated thoughts and they're perfect. Um, but that's not how emotional responses to music work. Like, I think sometimes you need to take a minute with a piece of music. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to have editors who are like, yeah, okay, let's split the difference. Like, let's not take a week to respond to this record, but we don't also have to like release something an hour after it dropped. Um, there was a, there's a couple of, um, reviews that came out like literally 10 minutes after the album came out. <laughs> And they were like raves, you know, they're like, this is an instant classic. Um, and there's something about that that feels like, you know, they're aware that there's an audience out there looking for a confirmation of what they think about the record. And it gets you traffic, but does it get you credibility? I'm not really sure. And so, listen, I gave it a rave. I was like, I'm really pleased by this record, but I needed I needed a minute to digest it. It wasn't like a an hour later kind of response. Do you feel pressure to deliver things quickly because i know when there's breaking news and everybody's on something i think to myself well you gotta hustle there is no time to think about this i was just finishing a piece today we're, we're recording on tuesday and the four governments in the middle of its anti-worker stuff and it's like well i got i gotta get out there i gotta get out there and then you know I, I write something really quickly and then only later do i think oh well i well okay people don't seem to be showing up at my house with pitchforks it must be okay <laughs> but there's always a sense of like well i feel like i gotta get this out fast i mean do you feel that when you know the taylor swift thing was a big cultural moment for yeah. hundreds of millions of people yeah did you feel like well i gotta be out there i you do you, that, that certainly you understand that uh, well at least i and i understand that there is like um there is reward for being out early there's reward for being out early people will come to you and celebrate your work or I guess if you publish um, a negative review, then people will come to you with pitchforks. Um, it's a little bit different than politics in the sense that um, with political, with sort of political affiliations, people will get really mad at you online with like reviews of artists that people are really invested in. They'll just put a hit out on you, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's not, I I will never say, I say a negative word about Nicki Minaj in my life. Um, <laughs> I, I just won't. Barbs, if you're listening to this, um, I come in peace. I don't come for me. But oh th there is something of a of a pressure to sort of re sort of cash in on these these rewards, right? Reap some of those rewards of being early. My editors and I have had a lot of conversations about whether that corrupts the work. Sometimes it can. Sometimes mm -hmm. it doesn't really. Like sometimes you can witness a moment, a cultural moment. Um, and have a reaction, have a take that is like up a couple hours later and it's organic and it's thoughtful and you've sort of, you know, thought through the thing that you're trying to communicate. Um, but sometimes it's a bit transparent that places, different places have kind of like bowed to the pressure of, well, there's definitely, you know, internet gold in, a, in, in us sort of publishing as quickly as possible. And that uh, I try not to sort of be swayed by that too much. I want to get into the book now. Okay, let's do it. Let's get, I mean, there's a lot to say. I mean, Son of Elsewhere is a smash hit. It came out earlier this year. It's a must read. Some people call it the Midnights of Books. Uh, 
they, they don't call it that. No Although one's ever some called people, it that. you, because it's okay. <laughs> Imagine. It's okay if it is. Buy my book. Nothing. It's the folklore of books. It's the reputation of books. That's what people are saying. It's the it's the born to run of books. <laughs> I, I would say it's probably closer to the Nebraska books, but I um I hear Ooh, you. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did. but it is. I mean, it's a very, very good book. And and Thanks, I man. remember we talked about this way back, way, way, way back. We had yeah, we, yeah. we talked about this, and then I know you know you were you were working on it, and I know that you had some folks on the internet whose job it was to troll you every day every time you posted <laughs> something by saying why aren't you working on your book hey how's that book coming along yeah thanks john uh, michael mcgrath really appreciate it yeah. it was it was john michael mcgrath tvo's yeah. own john michael mcgrath was yeah. your little demon on the shoulder yeah it worked day. it did well I'm, I'm looking at a copy right now <laughs> smash hit copy right now that i by the way paid for i just want to say that i bought this thing you know you know in my business you like get all these yeah. books for free i yeah. specifically said to my partner like i gotta go i want to buy this by in person thanks for in doing person. that pal appreciate you well my pleasure but uh you know when you were writing the book did did things change she's like i got you know i i have to have a special process for this book or did you say i'm gonna fit it in whenever i can fit it in and we're gonna try to make it happen did something change when you were writing it uh a lot changed while i was writing it um and the biggest thing that changed while I was writing it is that I had the genius idea of taking a book leave. BuzzFeed, the company that I work for, offers a three months unpaid book leave that you can extend to six months, um, if like job protected. You can come back to your job at the end of your book leave. And I was like, what an incredible benefit. I will take advantage of this. And so I started um, my book leave on February 28th, 2020. Um <laughs> It's a. <laughs> I, just want, I just want to pause for a second and let everybody just savor this moment. Uh, I bought big into the stock market in the uh, fall of 1929. <laughs> it's a big day for me. February 28th, 2020, I come out, I'm done my job, and I go, this is it, baby. I make, I truly, I spent an afternoon making um, a list of all the coffee shops I was going to visit in Toronto. <laughs> I was like, these are going to be the places <laughs> where this book is written. You know, they will Best witness. Oh, man, I was so excited. Um, and and then, then the world went to shit. Uh, very quickly, everything changed. And um, Emily, who at the time was working in an office, like most people, Emily's my wife, uh, suddenly found herself having to be at home. Um, and also, you know who else found themselves having to be at home is my daughter, who at the time yeah. was a little bit younger than three. Um, and I found myself in a position where, hey, Emily has to work. I am quote unquote working on my book, but really I'm just off for the next three months. And also my daughter needs a primary caregiver because my wife um, has to do her literal actual job. And so... Um, I well, I was a stay-at-home dad for three months. Um, the plan was that I would be, you know, writing for three months, and I that was doing everything but writing. Uh, that was a bummer. That was <laughs> that's that's the opposite of my plan. Um, wonderful time with my daughter, but listen, she's not very helpful when it comes to trying to write a book. <laughs> uh, and so, so my hours actually shifted. My hours of working on this book shifted so that they would be after her bedtime. I sort of found myself dragging myself to the keyboard, um, you know, after 8, 8.30 every night. And I would kind of write probably until maybe like midnight. 
um just a lot of evening or night writing um night writing not night writing because i'm not that cool uh and, and um here and there emily would find weekends where she could take my daughter to her parents house and then i would have the whole weekend to myself to try to get this whole thing written um i have this editor who's just the gentlest man on earth jared bland i love working with him and part of jared's working style is he'll never make you like feel the pressure of a deadline outwardly mm -hmm. he'll just do it in like really funny ways like he'll be like i this is only the deadline if you want the book to come out you know and then he'll just go quiet and i'm like well you know that is a thing that i do want like i i'm invested in this book enough that i want it to come out um and i'll feel the pressure without him ever being the person to put it on me which is great mm -hmm. thanks a lot jared i know your ways now for books two and three buddy we're i'm on to you Two and three, uh, see books, plural. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. well, yes, but let's worry about two first, and then sure, we'll worry yeah. about three. That's you know, smart. I, that's the way to do it. Got to take it one at a time. Yeah. Did the night writing impart anything to the book? Do you think it would have been a different book if you'd written in the morning? Because I, I wrote a novel that I didn't like and have shelved. I wrote it at night, at you know, in the dark, staring outside mm -hmm. at the sort of the the darkness of the evening mm -hmm. and i felt like that imparted something to the book that ended up being not very good not it wasn't the fault of the night though mm. it's the fault of the author but you know would it have been a different book had you written it in the in the morning i think i would have found my way to the emotions i wanted to express faster if i'd written mm. it in the daytime um by the time that you're writing at night I, you're you're a little bit cynical at least i'm a little bit cynical i'm a little bit closed emotionally um and so i found myself repeatedly in situations where i would write a page or two and i would show it to emily who's always my first reader on anything whether it's books or like works for buzzfeed um and she would be like yeah this is pretty good but like you're not really in here um and it's true you know i, I would sort of read it back and be like god damn it she's right i'm not really in there and it's because I think I was writing from an emotionally unavailable place, which is uh, maybe a more precisely emotionally exhausted place at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of the revisions that I had to do were actually putting the emotional core back into the book. So I would write at night in a way that's like, here's the general structure of where I want to go with this essay. Um, and then I would write again in the day or on those weekends where I'd say, okay, now how do I actually find myself in the text? Because I'm not in here right now. Um, so yeah, writing at night, you know, it helped me get through this process. But also at the same time, it's a, it's a version of me that I wouldn't have wanted to be the final version to present to the world. So you have a first reader, though, then Emily's your first reader. I mean, Stephen King talks about this when he says, you know, everybody has the ideal reader. Everybody has this person they're writing from. They should have it. It's a really good way. Uh, a really yeah. good device for producing you've got that that's emily yeah i i what something i'm really grateful for is that she generally knows when i'm bullshitting myself you know um mm -hmm. that's a that's a useful quality to have in a first reader when they read and go like yeah this is pretty good but it doesn't really sound like you um and sometimes i'm like well the point isn't to sound like me okay i'm trying to be this other thing um and then you have a, the push and pull of is that what the work is supposed to do or is it actually supposed to be who you are captured on the page 
Um, and sometimes I get really mad and really offended at her um, feedback. And then she would say, you literally asked for this. I don't need to be doing this. I could be just drinking some tea and watching Bake Off downstairs. Um, and, and fair enough, you know. And I guess like I'm grateful for that. But sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard when you have a reliable first reader you go to because you know right off the bat they're not going to be particularly gentle about um confronting you about something if you you know if you fail to deliver it uh, i'm going to close on and i'll give you a second to think about this i want to close on your ideal work day but first i want to get into the most important part of the whole process of creation which is do you have to be drinking something while you work? <laughs> I have a beverage problem. Folks who listen to this podcast month after month will learn about my ornate beverage setup for when I'm, sometimes I have three, even four different drinks <laughs> with me. Today I have two. One yeah. of them's gone, but I, I had two. Do you have, do you like, do you have a tea and a mug? And you know, like, this is my, you know, writers do it. In the final frontier mug. I don't know. I don't, you know, you, you get what I'm talking about. I love you know. that. I love that iteration. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Spot. This is, I woke up at 6 a.m. to write something today. So, you I, I'm, you know, I, it was really resonating with me when you were talking earlier because you really start that. You can see that <laughs> fuel gauge. Just like, But you, yeah. you sit down with that mug and that tea and you're like, I feel like I'm in my place now. Because that's also a ritual, right? Yeah, I would I would say like it's not a specific mug, but it's certainly tea. Tea is crucial to my writing process, especially if I'm writing early in the morning or late at night, um, which tend to be the hours that I write. I either write in the morning or late at night. Um, I am someone who switches between tea and Coke Zero a lot. So it, when it's not tea, it's Coke Zero. Sometimes it's both at the same time, which is real chaotic hours. Um, I don't. What do you know when what you're most of- Go ahead. What kind of tea, real quick? Oh, just like regular orange pico. I'm not a fancy tea person. I'm a I'm a tea man of the people. You know. Yeah, I was gonna I, say. Beat me to it. Okay. Yeah. I <laughs> know. Oh, I figured. Uh, what are your productive hours? Do you have productive hours? Do you have hours where you're not productive at all? No, I just I just do whatever I gotta do. But if I'm doing something a big project or something like yeah. that, I really try to get up every morning. When I wrote my dissertation, uh, it was. I'll get into this, you know, throughout the the podcast month to month, I'm going to talk a little bit my own, uh, you know, working habits, but I was writing my PhD dissertation and I moved back home to Peter because my entire family was ill at the same time of with wow. different illnesses. Yeah. Uh, serious ones. And the, a handful of whom, had, you know, ended up dying from them. But my, my dad was, was ill and dying at the time. And I would get up every morning and go over to the Trent, battle library and sit in front of the river and write for a couple of hours mm. and then i would go and deal with all of that and right. i found like i got more work done on my phd while my mother was sick my grandmother was sick my father was dying than i did when i was at home in vancouver with all the time in the world so because i got up in the morning and did the thing so i found myself wildly productive when i get up at you know 5 30 in the morning right start writing by six um you know by nine o'clock you started your day so they're there that actually really works but it is exhausting yeah that's emotionally exhausting because you're sort of you're front-loading your day right you're front-loading your day with the most taxing part uh, most taxing ask on your brain and especially in the circumstances of having family members either dying or going through something really difficult because then you know even when you're writing and you're forcing yourself to sort of push through the thing 
like the toughest part of your day isn't even hasn't even happened yet. Mm-hmm. So that that must have been. But like you feel the like there's something in the bag. Okay. You know, I felt like you know I felt like no matter what happens today. I mean, my my father could literally die today. I could have to run around and figure out lawyers today or learn how to do a will or, or figure right. out what, you know, power of attorney is and all of these things set up a few, you know, but I knew that that, that part of my life was protected and finished. Mm. And then I was available, you know, I, it gave me a little boost, but you know, it was exhausting a lot of not, I, I was a coffee drinker then, but I have to say coming back around, I'm a Pepsi max drinker. You do Oof. Coke zero, which is fine. Nothing wrong with Coke zero. Well, like, hey man, I've done Coke zero. <laughs> we're, Pepsi we're, Max. We're like the sharks and the jets, man. You know, like this is uh, this is snap, but I don't think you're supposed to snap <laughs> in the microphone. I think that's Boy. bad recording. Yeah, I think you should. I think that's- the reason I was asking you about the productivity hours is because I sort of have an, a lack of productivity window. Like I, I'm very good. I'm a big morning person. I can get up at five and just be awake and a person. And alert and, you know, just ready to engage in whatever at any hour in the morning. But I am also a late at night person. I love to write at 11, you know, midnight, 1 a.m. Those are really ideal writing hours for me. But I don't do the middle of the day. So, like, right now we're talking, you know, it's like the middle of the afternoon. At around 4 p.m., my brain shuts down and says, I'm out of here. I'll see you again around 8 so 4 to 8 p.m. are the hours that just do not do not work for me. So I, as much as I um, don't say I don't have ritual, it's like I don't write between 4 and 8 p.m. If I needed to hand something in at 9 p.m., I'm doomed because those hours are just like non-pro- non-productive hours for me. My brain just doesn't want to click on during those, during those hours. That's not, I, I don't think that's you. I think that is human beings in our circadian rhythms. I mean, okay. maybe not all human beings, but I think that is a common thing. I mean, I feel the same way too. This is the hour I typically reserve for some podcasts potentially, yeah. but administrative work. I do my emails now. I do lists. I do some planning. This, yeah. I, I don't I don't typically write around. In fact, when we're done here, yeah, I'm going to go walk Sam, the dog, yeah. my dog, yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. the do- the neighborhood dog. The, the we just go out and walk. Yeah. yeah, everyone knows Sam. Yes, <laughs> everyone knows Sam. I'm gonna go walk Sam, and I'm gonna go play Call of Duty because I know that even though I have things to do, it's just not gonna happen during that time. I'm gonna go play Halo. Like literally, the minute we're done this, I'm gonna go play we Halo. Really, are sharks and jets? <laughs> it's it's tea versus coffee, Pepsi yeah. Max versus Coke Zero. Yeah, Halo, Halo versus... Call of Duty. I gotta say though, I do really respect the fact that you are. Uh, you have chosen the second best thing in all of those categories because second best is is really good considering how many choices there are. There. Very kind of you to give me second best in all those categories. So, so what's your ideal day look like? So, so say there, imagine a world in which there are no constraints. This is okay. your utopia, except you have to work. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a market utopia. <laughs> so you still got to so, produce, man. That's the world we live in now, isn't it? That's, that's the market <laughs> utopia. Exactly. Yeah. What does your day look like? What is it? What, what, no constraints. No constraints. Like? Um, I would probably wake up at five and write for a bit. Um, I would then exercise, like maybe get a, you know, do a little Peloton ride between six mm-hmm. and six thirty. I love a morning workout. Um, and Peloton, then, did you say? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. book must be doing well. <laughs> wow. Listen, Jeez. the stock is down. They're willing to do anything to get one of those units <laughs> into your houses. You can you can go get one. 
Mr. Peloton will show up himself. Yeah, personally. He's actually assembling the bikes right in your house. Um, And uh, after you get a little workout in the morning, um, I spend some time with family because I really like family time in the morning. My daughter is at her most chill in the morning. Like She's like, hey, isn't it a nice time to be alive? You know, let's all be wonderful and kind to each other. And then in the evening, something different happens. Um, <laughs> but but uh, big fan of um, her energy in the morning. So I think like it would be like a bit of family time before I have to take her to school. Um, I think I would then after that, hopefully in this utopia, um, there's no emails. Like there's none to be dealt with because that is a part of my day that I find I never want to do and I and so as such I just never do it like the reason I'm so delinquent on so many emails is because I'm always like this sounds like a 4 p.m. problem and then 4 p.m. rolls around and I'm like this I'd rather do literally anything else but this um but because I sort of have a bunch of different lanes of my job some of them are talking for a living and some of them are writing for a living I'd like to do the talking for a living in the morning. I like hosting a podcast um, at 9.30 in the morning. That really works mm-hmm. really well for me. Um, I, I'm trying to be adamant about reading time, like protected reading time, um, just observing the world because you can't do this job unless you're actually like, hey, what is the thing happening in the world and not just in my immediate sort of vision? Um, and so I liked, I actually sort of still now try to fit that in um, somewhere between like 11 and like one, like maybe like 11 and noon or 11 and one is me just reading other people's work. Like just reading, whether it's like reading a book that I really admire that's going to help shape the work that I'm working on or um, articles in other publications that are not ours, you know, Um, just to get an idea of what are the wider conversations that are happening and how can I be meaningfully um, a part of them? Um, and then there's a bit of writing in the early afternoon. Um, or if I, if I need to schedule meetings, it'll be in this window that we're at now. Where like, I'm alert, but I'm also not necessarily my most productive. And so we go like, I don't know, between one and like four-ish meetings that got to get done. Um, and then theoretically, some admin time in the late afternoon. And then there's a break for family time. Uh, and after my daughter goes to bed, which is usually like bedtime starts at seven, ends around eight ish. Um, and then that's when, the dream, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly right. Eight, eight p.m. is like, all right, see y'all. I'm out of here. I'm out. Um, I also I have a partner who goes to sleep relatively early. Um, she her bedtime usually is like nine, nine thirty. She's like, all right, I'm out of here. Um, and I tend to like a couple of the nights a week, I'll tend to write. Um, after she goes to bed. Well, uh, it sounds a little bit like the like you're living pretty close to your ideal. Yeah, I just it's just currently not planned. You know what I mean? Yeah, like right. it's sort of a bit of a, a, a fly by the seat of my pants situation, where as much as possible I like to have that in a day, um, but then every once in a while, a thing intrudes. I got to prepare for a talk, and so that takes up time that you know I can't dedicate towards writing. So I'm falling a little bit behind on some of these things. So, you know, what has to suffer? Emails. They're dead to me. Mm-hmm. Um, those are those are the little cuts that I, you know, I don't think I've kind of perfect perfected yet. Well, whatever you're doing, it's working. Hey, thanks, pal. Well, I appreciate thanks to you. you. That, 
Uh, and and vice versa. And again, so happy you're my, my first guest on here. That brings us to time, though. So uh, it was utterly fascinating. We'll we'll chat again someday to talk Bruce Springsteen and and the fut- and, and whether or not Taylor Swift is the Bruce Springsteen of of our generation. <laughs> I'm I'm very ready to have that conversation. My homework to you is you should go listen to Long Live by Taylor Swift and tell me that's just not a Springsteen song. Oh, I will. Oh, and, and we could talk about how how I think Harry Styles has intense elements of Billy Joel in his music. Ooh, I didn't see that coming. I'm ready. Let's uh, do it. Let me tell you, we'll have to reconvene one day and have this conversation. Well, that, that brings us to time. If we keep going, we're going to end up with, with Lyle Lovett and God knows what else we're going to call it. <laughs> That's Elamin Abdel-Mahmoud, writer, podcaster, and author of Son of Elsewhere, available now wherever fine books are sold. Uh, thanks once more to Elamin and to all of you for listening. We'll see you back here in a month.